Welcome to Urban Dharma, the podcast, where suffering is optional. Hi, this is Reverend Kusla coming to you from downtown Los Angeles, from the International Buddhist Meditation Center in the heart of Koreatown. It's another hot and humid day in Southern California. It's about 9 o'clock in the morning. This podcast is an interview I did with Erica Bryant, the owner of True Yoga in Thousand Oaks, California. I speak there the first and third Saturday of the month. And last Saturday, I asked Erica if she'd be willing to do an interview. And she said, sure. And so what you're about to hear is my interview with the owner of True Yoga in Thousand Oaks, California. Uh, I'm sitting here in Thousand Oaks, California in True Yoga. Uh, True Yoga is a yoga studio, uh, and I'm interviewing, talking with uh, the owner, Erica Bryant, and she's consented to sit down and and do uh, an interview with me for a podcast. So um, the first question, Erica, is when did you start practicing yoga? I started practicing yoga a little over six years ago, and it was actually probably going on seven years now. It was a time in my life that was very, very stressful for me, and I was used to working out and and doing other things like that physical exercise, but nothing was working anymore, nothing was helping. And I took um, my first yoga class, I fell in love with it. I absolutely fell in love with it. In fact, I still take classes from my first teacher that I took classes with then. And uh, learning to meditate and those kinds of things really helped to... Um, mentally, spiritually, physically, even me out. So I was not a tremendous stress case like I was before. Okay. And and were you born a Christian? Uh, <laughs> as much as you can be born one, yes. I was born into a Christian family. Okay. And and so it sounds like you're you're not pra- practicing Christian now. Was there uh, a time in your life when you decided to go in a different direction? Yes, actually. It was when I was in college. Okay. Um, I was always the good little girl, and we went to church three, four times a week. And what were you taking in college? In college, um, my my major was actually had two, business and computer science. Mm. But I went to Pepperdine University, which is a religious school, mm-hmm. and they require you to take religion classes. So it was when I took, I began taking these religion classes that I started to look at Christianity in a very different way. Hmm. We were exploring both the Old and the New Testament as literature and doing comparative studies to other texts that were written around the same time. And uh, it was really fascinating to me to see things like uh, every text had a creation story, every text had a flood story, every Hmm. text had commandments. You know, and ethics and rules to live by. Every text talked about the wars that went on. They were all actually very similar. What was different was how people interpreted and defined them and how they apply them in their lives. Mm, Okay. So have you chosen another religion or are you Um, (laughs) non-religious? I usually answer that question by saying I consider myself a spiritual person. Spiritual person, not a religious person. Yeah. Okay. And do you find um, yoga as being more than physical movement? Yoga, yes. Yoga to me is moving meditation. So there, and is there a spirituality also in, in doing yoga? 
Um, for me, yes. And, and I can, I find that when I fall into my practice, I begin to fall into a meditation as I move and I start to become the observer instead of being necessarily in my body the whole time and maybe feeling pain <laughs> in practicing or whatever it happens to be. Um, yeah, there's a certain release that I get and a certain fulfillment that I find at the end of my practice. Um, when I'm when I'm practicing yoga, absolutely. Okay. And I consider that spiritual as well as meditative and mental. Yeah, yeah. And you're married. I'm married. Yes. And and is your husband religious? No, he does not consider himself to be religious. Okay, so he's a spiritual person as well. I believe so. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting because I I find too that a lot of people uh, who don't consider themselves religious but are very spiritual and connected to the world in a very unique way. In a nice way. Um, with your first yoga teacher, what was it about that style of yoga that, because uh, I understand there's different kinds of yoga, yes. different techniques. Yes. What, what kind of style did you first study? Uh, to be honest with you, I think that the first teacher I took classes from had an eclectic style. She had backgrounds in several different mm, okay. methods, and she incorporated all of those. One of her... Um, one of her methods was Anusara Yoga, which tends to be very therapeutic and heart-centered. Okay. Um, another was Hatha Yoga. Hatha Yoga is actually an umbrella term for the physical form of yoga. Because there's, you know, there's Hatha Yoga, which is the physical movement. There's Bhakti Yoga, which is devotional. There's Karma Yoga, which is doing things to serve others, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so she had a lot of different methods that she incorporated, but I think the thing that I appreciated about it the most was the focus on the breath, because if you focus only on your breath, that is a very present thing. That is right now. That is right here. It's hard to think about what happened yesterday or what happened in the past or go through your to-do list of what you've got to do when you finish the class. That was what was helpful for me. Okay. And... And do you practice a particular kind of yoga, or do you have an eclectic approach as well? I would say mine is eclectic as well. I've been exposed to many different kinds of yoga, and I find that for me, not every method in a particular style works. So, for instance, Iyengar yoga um, can be very precise but go beyond precision to the point of they tell you to feel your fingernails and how they feel, you know, those kinds of mm-hmm, things. Mm-hmm. And for me, that takes me out of my practice. I forget about my breath. So I like the precision in terms of the form should be appropriate and proper and not harmful, but there's a level where you have to cut it off. And, you know, I like Ashtanga yoga because it's a really great workout and you get really sweaty and you release a lot of toxins from your body, but that's not necessarily appropriate every day. Okay. So I, I mix it up as much as I can. And it, it sounds like the, the approach you take is um, how am I feeling today and what style of yoga or what practice will bring me back into balance. Very much so. That- and I try to convey that to my students as well. You know, if someone walks into my class, I, I normally take a survey at the beginning and say, what does everyone want to do today? Mm-hmm. How is everyone feeling today? You know, where are you at? And as we move through the class, if I, if I notice people are struggling, I back off 
immediately, and then so do they. But I also want them to be sure that they feel comfortable backing off themselves. And I always give people options. Please, if, if child's pose is appropriate for you right this second so that you can catch your breath and be present, then go there because that's the most appropriate thing for you to do right now. Don't pay attention to what everyone else is doing. That's, they're not you. They're not in your body. Okay. You've been practicing for six or seven years now, and uh, I guess a couple years ago you bought True Yoga. Yeah. So what led you from practicing to actually being an owner of a yoga studio? What, was there a, a point where you said, this is what I want to do with my life? Yeah, actually there was. Um, I'd been working as uh, the COO of a software firm for several years. But I had always loved helping other people achieve their goals physically, mentally, spiritually, those kinds of things. And people would come to me really, I mean, it was very, very random, actually. People would come to me and say, hey, can you put together a workout routine for me? Or can you put together, can you show me how to do some yoga postures or whatever it happened to be? And I always found that to be incredibly fulfilling, just helping people. Um, But I also knew that I was going to have to have some way to support myself financially. And uh, a friend of mine owned the studio prior to me buying it. She had just had her second child and was ready to, uh, they moved up to Santa Barbara, so it was too far of a drive, and she was kind of ready to start letting go. And I asked her if she would sell it to me. It just, it seemed, it wasn't even a question in my mind when I heard that True Yoga was possibly going to be for sale. I immediately called her and said, hey, what do you think? Would you would you consider this? And she seemed really happy to do it. So, yeah, I I love helping people. I love I love seeing people smile when they get it and they connect and mm. they find themselves inside. Yeah. Now that was Kara who was Kara, the era yes, owner. Kara and, Reed. And, and were you working for Kara at that time? No. You were you were just going to the studio practicing? Yep. And, and realized that she was uh, with child for the second time. Yeah. And, and it, this would be an opportunity to live out something you thought about, dreamed about. Yeah. In fact, um, mm-hmm. she got put on bed rest. I didn't know at the time that she did, but I had heard a rumor at another studio that I, that I sometimes practice at as well. Uh-huh. And that's when I called her and, and suggested okay. it. So. And since taking over True Yoga, what... What have you changed, and what have you kept the same? Wow. A lot of things have changed. We've moved to a bigger place. I know the location has changed. <laughs> and, and actually, we're sitting in one of the workout rooms, because you have two now. You yeah. have two rooms, uh, and uh, plus a wonderful um, uh, retail area yeah. with the front. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I, my understanding was... Uh, they were going to raise the rent at the old studio. Right. And this studio offered much more for around the same price. Exactly. So you took a chance and said, well, we're going to change our location. Yeah. And has that been a good move so far? Yes. Are people finding you? They find it a little bit difficult to find us, I think. But The once, first time. Yeah, right? the first time. But yeah. once they get here, they love it. Um, many people have commented to me, because we're on the third floor yeah. and we're surrounded by trees, yeah. that it's like being in a treehouse. Yeah. You know, and it's very calming to them. And then in the courtyard, you, you, there's a wonderful um, water, uh, I don't want to call it water park, but there are ponds yeah. and waterfalls and tables and chairs to sit at. Yes. So coming in here, it's, it, there's a whole environment 
uh, that that greets you yes. as you come up to the studio? My goal was to make this a very welcoming place. I yeah. think, you know, the things that we've kept the same are we've tried to keep as many of the old teachers here okay. as possible because they're amazing and mm-hmm. people love them with yeah. good reason. Yeah. The thing that I think I've changed is I really wanted to make it a community. Okay. And welcome people in, and everyone is welcome to stay afterwards. In fact, we had that experience today. Mm-hmm. They stay afterwards and talk and share and discuss ideas and, mm-hmm. you know, make plans for the weekends or whatever it is. And it's in that way, I think, a healing place also. Mm. So it's more than just a place to work out at. It's it's also a place to inter- to to connect and interconnect with other people who are practicing and and uh, forming uh, a community in its own right. Absolutely. Yeah. And realizing how interconnected we really all are. Yeah. You know, we're not separate entities and uh-huh. we're not out there by ourselves. And what for for a person listening to this podcast and might be interested in coming in, what what types of uh, yoga classes are available at True Yoga? We have yoga classes for everyone from beginners to experienced practitioners. We have kids yoga, prenatal yoga. Mm -hmm. There's a gentle yoga class twice a week that's designed for people with limited mobility. If you're a senior, you're recovering from a surgery or an accident or something like that. Um, We have a restorative class that's wonderful. It's like being at a spa for an hour and a half. It's a really nice way to begin your week. We we do it on Sunday evenings. So No matter what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Or we, what physical abilities exactly, you have. We try to give something to everybody. Okay. And are you open every day of the week? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we sure are. And what, what, uh, what time does the first class start? Um, depends on the day. Okay. It changes day to day. Yeah. The earliest class I believe we have is 7 in the morning. That's on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Okay. And the latest classes that we have run at 7.15 in the evening, Monday through Thursday. Mm. Everything is up on the website. The schedule's up on the website. And what is the website? It's www.trueyoga.com. Dot com. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. So if they're if they're curious about the schedule, they can go to the website, trueyoga.com. Yes. And, and you're up there, too. And I'm up there, too. And you, you come and visit us twice a week now. Or actually twice a month. Or twice a month. I'm sorry. Twice That's a right. month. That's the right. first and the third Saturday. Of yeah. Week, which is great. And everyone really appreciates that. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun. I, I, I started with, with Kara at the old True Yoga. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and then when she sold to you, you asked if I would continue. And I accepted the invitation and it's been wonderful for me and I appreciate you wanting me to do that. Oh, we, and, uh, we really appreciate you here. Yeah. I really do. Well, it's been a lot of fun. And, yeah. and if people want to uh, come to the to my class at True Yoga, it's the first uh, Saturday and third Saturday uh, from 9 until 10.30. And um, each class is pretty much self-contained, so if you can only go to one, that's fine. Or if you want to go to a series, that's fine too. Yeah. And we talk and meditate, which is great. Yes, a lot of talking and some meditation. And <laughs> hopefully we'll get more balanced and have as much meditation as there is talking. But there's so much to talk about. Exactly. You know. <laughs> How do you see your practice changing over the six or seven years you've been practicing? How has your practice matured? Um, I've learned to let go of the outcome and I've learned to let go of whatever physical limitations that I have. Mm. And I've also learned, I feel like um, I've gotten a lot softer. 
mm. a lot more mellow. Now, what's the difference in your mind between hard and soft when it comes to yoga practice? Hard is a constant pushing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's, I, a lot of people will say that's an Ashtanga style, but I think it depends on the individual. Mm-hmm. Because I've known Ashtanga yogis who don't push that hard necessarily. But um, yeah, I, you know, I came from a background where no pain, no gain was a big motto. And, mm. and you just push through the pain and you keep going and you keep sweating and you keep working. And I realized that that's not necessarily the goal. The goal is to find a peace within and a coming within and being present and finding that surrender. So yeah, that's that's what I mean by softer. I, okay. I don't push myself as hard as I necessarily could every single day. Okay. So there's this sort of um, wonderful enthusiasm in the beginning, and you want to do as much and as hard and as fast as you can. <laughs> and, and then as the practice matures, sometimes we just fall into uh, a place where we actually can live with it every day. And it's just, it complements our life uh, rather than uh, uh, making our life a little more difficult. That's a really nice way of putting it, yes. Yeah. yeah it's, instead of something that you have to do, yeah. it's something you want to do or you need to do yeah. you know, to make you feel better during the day, absolutely. Yeah. Now, does your husband practice yoga? Not much, a little bit. Okay, well, that's interesting because, you know, I, I, I would think that a lot of people in relationship would want their partners to do exactly what they do, but hmm. I guess actually they don't have to. No, I you because know, everybody has a different uh, path. I suppose they take exactly. Yeah, he appreciates the martial arts. Uh huh. That's his outlet, and I'm thankful that he has an outlet. Sure. So, and he's thankful that I have one too. We yeah. have been very blessed that way in having kind of a mutual understanding of, you know, yoga is my thing and martial arts is his thing. And if I ever decided to come and practice jujitsu with him, I'm sure he'd welcome me, and he's more than welcome to come here. But neither yeah. one of us is pressuring each other for that. Yeah, it's interesting because people ask me if I do yoga, and I say no, I don't. But <laughs> I I like to weightlift. Really? So, yeah. So oh, that's at, at the center where I live, I have a bench in the back and I have my weights, and uh, and I, I felt very comfortable doing that as a form of exercise and, and meditation as well, staying focused and stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Weightlifting yeah. requires a lot more focus than most people realize. Yeah, if you want to stay alive, especially <laughs> if you're doing bench pressing. And, uh, and, and what I'm seeing, too, with the bench press and, and working out with weights, and, and you probably see that as well, uh, with people, as they start to age, they, they lose some of their flexibility. Sure. And it's almost a necessity for us to do something just to stay flexible. It's, it's not a given anymore, like in youth. That's right. It's just part of being young. But when you're old, it's something you actually have to maintain. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and what people don't realize is that as you get older and your bone marrow stops producing marrow, one of the reasons that that happens is that you stop exercising. Mm. So as you exercise and you get your muscles moving, you're actually encouraging your bones to continue making marrow, and that in turn prevents you from getting things like osteoporosis and other bone degenerative bone diseases. So it's very important to stay active, whatever it is that you do. Yeah. yeah you know? Yeah. And also to make sure that you stretch once you lift because lifting shortens the muscles. So yeah. you gotta make sure you stretch them out afterwards. Yeah. Now you just came back from a retreat. Yes. I, I know you were talking about that uh, 
before you left, and, and we haven't had a chance to talk about yeah. it yet, but I'd like to just listen to you describe what kind of retreat you went on and what the experience was like. Wow. It was a really fascinating experience. It was at Shoshone in Colorado. And um, this institute is run by, they have an actual Hindu lineage. Mm. So it was more of a Hindu spiritual center, if you will. So it was a sort of like religious spiritual center? I would, would you classify it? it that way, yes, okay. personally. Okay. I didn't realize that before I went there, but I, I got to tell you, it was fascinating. Yeah. It was really interesting. I've never taken yoga from swamis before. Mm. So their outlook on yoga, the practice of the physical form of yoga, is very different than what you get from... Would it be more of a religious practice, you, you would, would you say, rather than like uh, an athletic practice? I, you know, I suppose you could classify it that way, but okay. I, their their goal, as they stated in doing hatha yoga, physical yoga, is to prepare the body for meditation mm. and the experience of meditation and to handle the um, spiritual insights that you can get or physically feel in your body. Mm-hmm. So it's a different approach. It's not just an exercise. And while I try to emphasize the spiritual approach here, boy, they were, you know, we spent as much time meditating as we did practicing yoga. And could you say that perhaps some of their focus is on finding God, communing, connecting with God? In, yes. From a Hindu The way that they define it. But the Uh way they define God is the inner self with a capital I and a capital S. Okay. So ultimately, what you're connecting with is that higher part of you that is connected with the entire universe. Okay. But the getting there is an exercise. Yes. And they have a lot of different um, methods for getting you to connect with that inner self or that higher self, that higher being. One of them is um, ecstatic dance and singing and chanting and... Mm you know, mantras, doing those kinds of things. So that was really interesting to you. And because you're somewhat non-religious and spiritual, did, did, did you feel any tension? Yes. Going there? Yeah. And, <laughs> and how was that resolved? Were you able to stay non-religious and appreciate the spirituality? Ultimately, yeah, I believe I was. Okay. And, and the way I resolved that, it, it was interesting because I had a lot of discussions with my fellow um, trainees, if you will, you know, uh-huh. the other people that, I, that were students there. And one of the things that we realized is um, everybody is looking for something better. Mm. And if this method helps somebody, if it helps them, you know, stop drinking or stop doing drugs, or if it helps, if it gives them a focal point so that they can relax and feel... Um, a few moments of life without being stressed or whatever it happens to be, then that's good for them. And if I can take something back from that, then that's good for me too. There's no sense to throw out the baby with the bathwater, if you will. Mm-hmm. But ultimately for me it was an exercise in surrender. Yeah. Letting go of my preconceptions and my ideas of what's right and what's wrong because, you know, that's mm-hmm. just my idea. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think... The retreats I've been on, that's one of the things that I found, too, is uh, 
I had some preconceived ideas of how it was going to be, which were always shattered as soon as it started. Yeah. <laughs> and then the rest of the retreat was just coming to a place of acceptance with the way things were. And I always learned things. And I, and I always found other perspectives to be useful as well. Absolutely. And brought in my perspective. So what were some of the things? What was your day like at the retreat? How early did you get up? Uh, we, I got up at 5 in the morning. 5, okay. And, you know, just got ready or whatever. And then we had our first... Either we did a yoga class or we did um, what's called the Guru Gita. And I'll explain that in a second. Okay. Or we had philosophy or we did meditation. So it, it differed a little bit from day to day what our 5.30 a.m. class was. And the Guru Gita literally translated means song to the guru mm. and in Hindu lineages there's there's always a guru mm -hmm. and they but they carry the Guru Gita back through the entire lineage so all the gurus are being honored so in this, this devotion chant. to the guru exactly it's a okay. devotional chant it takes an hour and a half Wow. and you sit by the fire and you go through this chant and every four lines um, that you read afterwards, you say Om Namah Shivaya Swaha, and you toss rice into the fire, and that is symbolic of um, igniting that. Or, I'm sorry, of, of basically burning out the self and the the ego and letting go of all of that stuff. Mm. And having a more direct connection with your guru. With your guru and the, ultimately your higher self, your uh -huh. inner self. Which could be called God or just higher self. Exactly. Or Exactly. Okay. And so that would be guru devotion. And yeah. then what would be the philosophy that you'd study? Philosophy, uh, we looked at the sutras of Patanjali. Okay. This particular one. Um, okay, the yoga sutras of Patanjali. Exactly. And then meditation or whatever. So we would do that. We'd start at 5.30 in the morning and go until 7, have breakfast for an hour. Then we would go to another class. And again, it, it differed. It depended on what we had done first thing in the morning. Sometimes mm -hmm. it was another philosophy or meditation class. We did pranayama and yoga from 10 and to 12. And pranayama, is that breathing? Pranayama, breathing exercises. Okay. Yes. Okay. And they're designed, pranayama can affect different things. It can calm you down. It can wake you up. But the ultimate goal is to kind of even you out. Okay. Coming so. back to balance. Exactly. Okay. Was there anything with kundalini energy? Yes. They, it's interesting you should ask that. Okay. Um, the swamis very often talked about raising kundalini energy. Ultimately, all of these exercises that we did were designed to get you more in touch with your inner self. And as you begin to do that, they say you can physically feel a kundalini energy rising from the base of your spine, way, way down low, and coming up. And different people describe different experiences. Mm -hmm. I, some and people. did you awaken your serpent? <laughs> Honestly, I believe I did, but okay. I don't want to. Okay. I was having a hard time with that because I, I don't want to put an imprint on something or, or deliberately. Yeah, I understand. You know what I'm you saying? Don't want to change Mentally change it. By yeah. defining it. Exactly. How about um, the chakras? Did, did you go into the chakras? The chakras and the subtle body and okay. the bodies. Yes, absolutely. Okay. And, um, and what kind of meditation practices did they, did they encourage you to do? Because you said you had one segment of meditation? Yes. Okay. The meditation practice is focused mainly on watching the breath, actually mm. literally just listening to your inhales and exhales. Some of them were like that. 
Some would incorporate a mantra. Uh, the first mantra that we worked with was the Hamsa mantra, mm-hmm. which is also coordinated with the breath. So you would inhale and mentally think hum, and then you would exhale and think sa. So it was kind of a way to quiet the mind if you had a hard time just listening to your breath mm-hmm. and your mind needed something to do. Mm-hmm. That was what I gathered from it anyway. Okay. So you would say hamsa. Another mantra that we would use during meditation was om namah shivaya, mm-hmm. which is uh, I bow with respect to my inner self. Okay. And um, that is supposed to be one of the most powerful mantras that you can use. Yeah. Um, and I had some interesting experiences in meditation using that mantra. Mm. So. Did you study Sanskrit at all? Yes, we did. And, and how was that? Is that a tough language to study? Actually, I think it's easy. Okay. Because Maybe because of its rules. Indo-European roots? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's, everything is very specific. There aren't any colloquialisms mm-hmm. that you have to deal with like there are in English or in any other language for that matter. Um, you know... Pod means one thing, uh, hand, um, ekapada, or I'm sorry, foot. Um, Everything has a very specific meaning, and they just put them together very simply. There's no interpolation or extrapolation or anything like that. You don't have to conjugate verbs, and it's just just basic. So, yeah. Yeah. What's hard is the pronunciation and the length of the words. And did you... Did you have the teacher? Would they go into pronunciation and you could hear him and yes. or her? And, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and there are some very subtle differences. Yeah. Um, so, for instance, there's a there are two different kinds of sh sounds. Mm. There's sh with your tongue near your teeth, and then there's a sh with your tongue back up in the upper palate of your mouth. Okay. Yeah. Trying to get. An American to make those subtle distinctions and actually pronounce that very quickly. <laughs> and I would think it'd be difficult to hear them too yeah. if you're not used to hearing those sounds. Right. Let so, alone yeah. making them. Exactly. So yeah. they spent a lot of time pointing those out and doing different exercises so that you could get used to the palatal and the the other different sounds that we don't normally make. Okay. And how long did this retreat last? It was 16 days. Wow, that's a long time. Yeah. And how many people attended? Uh, There were seven of us for that specific retreat. Uh It was a teacher training. Okay. Um, But they had people coming in and out for all different kinds of retreats the whole time we were there. Okay. So, and some people kind of made their own retreat up. You can actually invent your own. You can go in there, you can call them and say, I want to come for three days and I'd like to have a consultation on Ayurveda and clean up my diet and... Do some yoga or whatever it happens to be, and they'll customize one for you, which is kind of cool. And that brings up an interesting question too to me. Did, did they talk about diet? Oh yeah. And and what did they say would be the optimal diet? <laughs> would it be vegetarian? Um, many of them said vegetarian. Yes. Okay. Some of them said vegan, which would wow. be you know no. Yeah eggs or milk or cheese or anything. Yeah. But I asked the guru that question one day, uh-huh. Babaji. And he said that you shouldn't get hung up on your diet. You should pay attention to how your body reacts to the different things that you eat mm. and make sure that what you are consuming is not consuming you. Mm. Which I thought was an interesting response. I think a very good response, yeah. healthy response. Exactly. Yeah. So. 
ultimately, again, you're looking for balance. And mm -hmm. if something throws your body physically out of balance, mm -hmm. then fix it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Pay attention to what you consume. Yeah. And when you notice an imbalance, don't consume that again. You know, I found after reading a couple books on vegetarian, being a vegetarian, that it, it seems to take the body a while to make the transition. If you've been a, a carnivore for most of your life, and then decide, okay, today I read this book, and I'm not from this day forth. I'm going to be a vegetarian. Uh, it, you can really do your body some harm from what this book said. That you really need to transition in a slow way, and it can take up to a year for the microbes and all the other things in your intestine to sort of make the transition. I've heard that, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess for us, uh, we have to be careful of our enthusiasm, and like <laughs> like your guru said, we have to watch the body, listen to the body. And the body will tell us if we're going too fast or too slow. Absolutely. If we still need a couple eggs once in a while or not. Yeah. And, and I guess ultimately all those things tend to uh, uh, define us in a spiritual or religious way. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. What, what did you take away from the retreat? Did you, when, you, when you think back, it, 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 you haven't been back very long now. No, a couple of weeks. Was there something that sort of stuck with you, or a feeling, or a practice, or an insight that you had? Um, you know, I think the thing that stuck with me the most was, or, or the feeling that I got was one of peace, actually. Mm. I felt able to face what I had to face coming back here mm -hmm. without panicking about it, just kind of letting go and recognizing that everything is going to be what it's going to be, mm -hmm. and I have certain things that I do have to do. I mean, it's not a release of responsibility by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, well, we all have that, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We all have responsibilities, but um, if you know you've done the best that you can and you've lived up to your responsibilities in the best way that you can, then mm -hmm. the outcome really doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Or the outcome will just be the outcome. Exactly. Yeah. That, and I, I really feel much more competent as a meditator and much more willing and able to just sit down and meditate. That's definitely, that was a huge benefit from this mm, for me. And um, do you see more retreats in your future? Absolutely. It would, it would, okay. I highly recommend, it doesn't matter what retreat you go to, but sure. I highly recommend to everybody that they take you know, three days or a week or two weeks, whatever it needs to be for you, mm -hmm. to get out of your daily life and just spend some time quietly meditating, doing yoga or doing whatever it is that feeds your soul, but being quiet about it. And it's hard to do that when you're at home and the phone is ringing and you have a job and you've got kids and dogs and cats and whatever other responsibilities. Sure, it is. For, for somebody listening to this and they, they're thinking about starting a yoga practice, what would you say would be um, a, a, a good practice to have in the beginning? Should a, should a person do yoga every day, every other day, once a week in the beginning? How often should they do it? And uh, is, is there a couple poses, I guess that's the word you use, that would would help somebody sort of get the feeling of what a yoga practice is like and and would be accessible to someone who may not be as flexible as as uh, they want to be. Wow, that's a loaded question. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would tell people to start off practicing two or three times a week 
Okay. And keep it very simple. So very they don't basic. have to do it every day. You, you know what? You don't. Okay. I mean, if it if it gets to the point where it feels good to you to do it every day, then do that. Okay. But don't make it so hard for yourself. You you don't have to set aside an hour and a half every single day to practice. Mm. Set aside 20 minutes, three days a week. And work into it. Okay, so 20 slowly. minutes a couple times a week would be enough initially to have a yoga practice. Just to, yeah, just to get started. Okay. Because you don't want, I think ultimately people set these huge goals for themselves that yeah. end up deterring them. Yeah. And you don't want to do that. It's like you were talking about with your diet. You don't mm -hmm. overnight turn into a vegetarian. Yeah. You go slowly. So same thing. And some basic postures, for instance, there's Tadasana, which is a very simple standing pose. Okay. But you make it active by activating your quads, activating your core, tucking your tail, drawing your belly in, and then lifting the shoulders and releasing them back, drawing the shoulder blades together on the back so that the tops of the shoulders are falling away from the ears. Mm. But you're opening your chest and then extending your arms down. So you're basically activating every muscle in your body. Mm. There are a couple of really easy standing poses. You know, some of the warrior poses, you can look them up online at just about, they're all over the place. Okay. But, you know, try Warrior 2. I don't recommend people try Warrior 1 because that's a little bit tougher. Mm -hmm. But Warrior 2, or you'll see it as Virabhadrasana 2, um, which is a nice open pose. It's a hip opener. It works your thighs. It works your core. It works your arms. Um, downward facing dog is another one that works your entire body. It also stretches your entire body. Mm -hmm. uh, downward facing dog or Adho Mukha Svanasana. Okay. And for stretching, you can do some very simple seated forward bends where you'll extend one leg straight out in front of you and take the other foot into your thigh. This is called Janu Shirsasana. And then bend forward to grab your extended foot or maybe place your hands on your thigh or on your shin or however far you can go. The key in all of these things is to make sure you're keeping a flat back, mm. that you are not bending into your back because when you do that, that's when you create problems. A mm. lot of people pull their back out because their hamstrings are so tight. Mm. When your hamstrings are tight, your back takes all of the weight, all of it. So you have to be mindful of how you're moving and how deep you're going and what you're actually working. This is where the mindfulness practice comes in and the focus on the body. Okay. Well, Erica, I want to thank you for letting me uh, talk with you. It's just, it's been fun. Thank you, and actually, for taking the time to sit with me. It's been wonderful. Oh, it's been good. And so if somebody wanted more information, uh, again, about True Yoga, there's a website. Mm -hmm. And it's www.trueyoga.com. That's right. And, um, and you'd be available for consultation if they have questions. Absolutely. And, and wanted to plan out their program you could sit down with them yes. and suggest certain things yes and just send us an email or give us a call and if no one is available at the time that you call leave a message we'll get back to you as soon as possible good okay well it's going to be another hot day today in it southern is. california so uh until, until i see you next time in a couple of weeks uh stay cool thanks you too okay. <laughs> thanks kufla thank you Well, that's it. That was my interview with Erica Bryant, the owner of True Yoga in Thousand Oaks, California. If you'd like more information on True Yoga, please go to their website, www.trueyoga.com. If you'd like more information on me, please go to my website, kusala.info, K-U-S-A-L-A.info.
I've just posted a video interview I did with the local Japanese television station. They asked if they could come over and do an interview with me about Buddhism in America, my work in community, my practice, how I came to Buddhism. So I posted that at dharmatalks.info. That's dharmatalks.info. It's part one and part two. They're about 58 megabytes apiece. So if you have DSL or cable, it's doable. But if you have phone modem, um, probably not going to have enough time to download those large files. If you'd like to email me, my email address is kusala at urbandharma.org. Well, until the next time, until the next podcast, be happy, be peaceful, and most of all, be free from suffering.